Welcome to the Maverick Mindset Podcast, a podcast that will explore the stories of people who have chosen to take life into their own hands, in their own way, and define what success means for them. Be prepared to be inspired, motivated, and maybe even learn something new. My name is Romeo Santos, and I'll be your host. This is the Maverick Mindset Podcast. Let's go. What's up, Maverick Nation? It's Romeo Santos, your host, and I'm so excited for the guest that we have today. His name is Mark Owens, and he's a local real estate investor uh, and a success story, rags to riches here in the Baltimore area. You're going to hear the story about how Mark picked himself up from the bootstraps from a four-year prison sentence to now owning over 100 rental properties and being an inspiration for his community and anybody that he can talk to on a daily basis. Everybody, let's have a warm welcome for our good friend and our guest today, Mr. Mark Owens. What's up, Maverick Nation? It's Romeo Santos, your host here with our amazing podcast guest today, Mr. Mark Owens, who is a uh, Baltimore native, I believe. I might have just said that wrong. Marcus, you might have to edit that out. And uh, we're excited to dive into your journey and learn all about um, who you are and how you became the person that you are today. I'm ready, man. Bring it on. Awesome. Awesome. So, Mark, tell us a little bit like your elevator pitch. Like, who are you today? Who am I today? Today, I am a successful real estate investor for 19 years. Uh, had many different chapters in my life, like you know most of us. Uh, before that, I was an IT guy. Uh, before that, I was a lab rat working in a laboratory. And then before that, I was in and out of trouble for many, many years. And, uh, and so my story goes, I mean, it literally is rags to riches, like coming out of jail with just about nothing and, uh, and building up a respectable life. Nice, nice. Awesome. Okay. So what we definitely want to do is we want to learn more and um, kind of unpack all those things. So um, tell us a little bit more about your business now. Like what does your business look like right now that you've been sure. able to build? So I started in 2002, just buying rentals. I was making a bunch of money in IT and I just saved it. And I, I put some money in the stock market and then I took it back out because it started to fall apart and I didn't lose anything, but I lost everything that I had made. Hmm. And uh, I'd always had an interest in rentals. And I just, I thought that at the time I was an independent contractor. And so if I lost my job, there's no money coming in. And my wife wasn't working. Uh, we had a son that was two years old and she was going back to school. So I thought, you know, these rentals would be a real good hedge against, you know, if I lose my job due to either saying something inappropriate or just, you know, being part <laughs> of my job or whatever. And, sure. uh, and so the, uh, I, it took me like six months to find my first rental. And I, I put together like an Excel spreadsheet and that just showed me what my return on my cash on cash investment would be. And I was looking for 30% at the time. It took me oh, wow. six months to find the first one. And I was a three unit in the neighborhood in Hamden, which is where I grew up at in Baltimore city. Mm -hmm. And I uh, bought the first one. And my goal, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I either wanted to buy 10 properties or 20 properties over the next couple of years, because I thought that you know, if I make 300 bucks per door and I have, you know, 10 doors at 3000 a month back then, like that's enough just to get by. I'm not going right. to get rich. I'm not going to buy a condominium in the Cayman Islands, but I am going to be able to put food on the table and pay my gas and electric bill and my mortgage. So that was my first goal. And what happened was after it, and back then, listen, this is 2002, man, there was no Facebook. So I was really flying, you know, blind, solo and blind. And, uh, you know, like why stop at 10? Sure. Why not get a 20 or 30 or 40 or 50? I mean, there's no, 
there's no end to it. There's no, nobody that says, okay, well, this is it. Now you're the, you know, production manager of the assembly line. So you can't go any higher. I mean, this is, there was no end in sight. It was really, for the first time in my life, it was based on, my results were based on my effort. If I put in minimal effort, minimal results. If I put in a lot of effort, then I can get a lot of results. And I, that idea appealed to me because most of us have had jobs where you can go in, bust your ass, sacrifice your health, your family, your time, but you're, you're going to hit a cap on what you can accomplish. But when you're an entrepreneur, there is no cap. You can just develop systems to you know, kind of free up some of your time or focus on the things in your business that are going to make the most money. Why go haul trash when you can pay somebody else 15, 20 bucks an hour to haul trash and you can go out and find a deal you're going to make 15 or $20,000. So it took me a little while to figure that out. But once I did, uh, I, you know, everything changed. You know, I didn't grow up. Nobody in my family is an entrepreneur. Uh, no one owned any rental properties. Uh, my grandmother did when I was little, but she never made any money on them. I mean, I, I, she was just like, you know, she had like two or three houses and I think she sold them and she was probably lucky if she broke even. And we never had any conversations about it. So I didn't grow up in a family where, you know, I was hearing these business conversations at the dinner table or anything. And, uh, so once I realized that I could go as far as I wanted, I just kept on going. And after a couple of years into it, I started wholesaling. I found out about this wholesaling thing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I didn't, I mean, I'd saw like we buy houses ads in the newspaper when I was 10 years old. I just didn't know, you know, what the hell it meant. I just figured it's a bunch of rich guys buying houses. Right. And, uh, and then I found out that, no, you don't have to be a rich guy. You don't even have to have any money at all to wholesale. <laughs> right. Uh, and so we, I partnered up with another guy and we took off. I mean, him and I probably did about 130 deals in maybe three years. And I wow. think our, our average assignment to was like $9,000. Wow. And that was when I quit my IT job. Yeah, <laughs> like, sure. <laughs> you know, at the time, my wife wasn't working. And I mean, these are the, like the numbers. This is the real stuff. I was making about 150 a year in IT. And so in order to walk away from my job, I, I want to have an 150 a year in income. 100%. So I was up to about 50,000 a year in rental income. My wife was about to finish school and go back, enter the workforce for the first time in five years. And her first job out of school, she was going to start at 50,000 a year. So uh -huh. 50 the rentals, 50 the wife working. So I, there's just a $50,000 shortfall that I need to overcome to walk away from my job. And I thought, well, I can haul trash for $50,000 a year. <laughs> right. Like I can, that's doable. So I quit my job and uh, started wholesaling soon as I quit. And then I started making more money than I ever made in my life. And, uh, and I could schedule my work around my life, not the other way around, because most of us are kind of stuck where we're, you know, in this structure, this Monday through Friday, nine to five grind. And, you know, if there's a, you know, a, a play at your school that your kid's in or something like that, it's like, you know, you got to ask your boss if he can take off. No, there's a big meeting. And, you know, for me, it's, you know, I, I like this appeal to freedom that I had, where I could say, hey, you know what? I got a settlement scheduled for tomorrow and my son's play is tomorrow. I'm going to reschedule the settlement for the next day. Right. Or I'll get pre-signed before the play starts. And uh, and that sense of freedom that I got was, for me, a life-changing experience, even more than the money was. Just, just the fact that I could now spend my time doing the things I want to do. And sometimes the stuff I want to do is actually work and gotten hustle and grind. Right. And it's a lot easier when you get the rewards. You know, I don't want to get hustle and grind and my boss comes in in his new Tesla and he's telling me I'm lucky I'm getting a 2% pay raise. Right. 
Oh man. And uh, so that's, that's pretty much how it started. And then like any business, you know, as you go through the processes and you start to learn more uh, and you start to network and make connections and all that stuff, then you start to learn other ways to run your business more efficiently or effectively, or make more money and hold different income streams that are related to your business, but not necessarily the business you start. Like for instance, wholesaling. Right. I started as a landlord. I'm, I'm an investor. I'm a real estate investor. I make, I invest money and I get so-called residual income off that. Right. Wholesaling is in the same business line, but it's not passive income. It's not, you know, wholesalers aren't real estate investors at all. That's like a nine to five kind of crime. It's a job for sure. Yeah. And, and people get upset when I say that. I'm like, well, just ask your accountant, you know, how are right. you taxed? Uh, my rental income is taxed as investment income and your wholesaling income, you're going to be paying double FICO on it because it's self-informing. Right. And uh, so that's, that was really it, man. I mean, it was just the, the freedom, the money obviously is a, is a big motivator, but the freedom for me at this point is more of a motivator right. than money is. And now, uh, how, how did you, the, you said the first one, when you were starting to buy property, you said, I, I was looking for a 30% return. You had the spreadsheet yeah. and you were doing, how did you come up with any of that? Man, you know what? It was at the time before then I was investing in the stock market. And I remember Fidelity Select Electronics. The average annualized return for the previous 10 years was 22%. Okay. And so that's that was my yardstick right there. Like that's what's possible. That's as far as investing my money, that's what's possible. And I thought, well, if I'm gonna, you know, be answering the phone at 11 o'clock at night and unclogging toilets on Saturday morning and all this stuff, then I gotta get more than that. I gotta, I gotta get 30% return. I'm not even counting any potential for appreciation or increase in equity every month by making your mortgage payment and paying down some of the principal. I'm not even paying any attention to any of that stuff. I'm just looking at my cash on cash return. And, uh, and so, I mean, I knew how to use Excel and I was at the beginning, I was sitting down with a pad, like trying to figure it out, <laughs> found, like some online rental calculator, you know, like some mortgage calculator at bank of America or who at nation's bank or whoever it was back then. And I'm, you know, so I'm sitting down trying to figure out the mortgage payment and the taxes and insurance and all this stuff. And I thought, Man, what this is stupid. Like, why am I sitting here with a pad and paper doing this crap? I'm an IT guy. You know, it's like <laughs> on the internet, man. Like, use Excel and let the let the you know the app do all the math for you. You just right. type numbers and then it, it multiplies and divides and subtracts and adds. And then at the bottom, you get your return on investment. I still use the damn calculator. It's the same one that I created in like 2002. That's amazing. My, it ain't broke. Don't fix it. Yeah, because it's like, you know, you learn about things like ground rent. What the hell is a ground rent? Well, that's, right. that's common in Baltimore, in the Baltimore area, but in people in Cleveland might be like, ground rent, what's he talking about? Right. I better go buy another book. Don't buy another book. Um, the, so I just started adding stuff like that. And, yeah. uh, and it works for me now. Of course, I've been doing it long enough now where I can pretty much look at a deal and analyze, you know, like pretty quick, just off the top of my head. Like I know the numbers and, mm -hmm. uh, but I still break it out every now and then if I'm looking at investment properties in other markets or something that's a little different than maybe a row house for rent. If I'm looking at like a, you know, a seven or 10 unit apartment building, then it's not so easy to just, you know, run all the numbers through my head real quick sure. and down and spend a few more minutes, you know, analyzing it and, and fine tuning everything so that my numbers or offer is going to be a little bit more in line with what's the reality. Now, are you, are you, now investing outside of the Baltimore market as well? I haven't. No, no, I'm not. 
I own I own a condominium in the Cayman Islands. But okay. That I rent out, but I don't. Uh, That's where he's hiding all his dope people. <laughs> it is. I, yeah, I didn't I didn't buy that as a rental. Bought it because I stay there a lot. And right. My, that's my retirement plan is to like spend like you know four months a year there. It's part of my plan. It's a third of my retirement plan. Love it. And uh, yeah, but I mean the truth is like I mean Baltimore we get a lot of bad press and there's a lot of bad stuff going on. But the truth is like Baltimore City is a freaking gold mine. Like if gold you mine. keep money in real estate in Baltimore, you can't make it anywhere. You better go back to Walmart or whatever you're doing because it it is a gold mine. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know what's funny is I was looking at I was looking at um, comps for a client of mine. You know I'm in real estate as well, and uh, he's looking for flips, and I I can. At this point now, I can run through the comps really quickly. I just look. I do a 30,000-foot view. I pop in the address. I look around, see if there's any comps. And I go, no. And I do one, and I just do it just because I'm going through the motions, and it's over in 1-7, right? And I pop it down. It's like $29,000, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, 50, 60K maybe. And all of a sudden, I see one for 155, and I go, whoa, what the hell is going on here? And I look at it, and I go, wait a minute. The same person who listed it sold it. And my mind as an investor immediately goes, he's a genius. He's <laughs> setting a comp so he can go in and buy the whole neighborhood and start doing it. And then I talked to another colleague of mine who you probably know, Michael Schiff. And he goes, no, no, no. Here's what he's doing. Turnkey. Da, da, da. And I go, oh, my God, still a brilliant idea. But like, you know, my mind goes in a whole different direction. But you're right. In Baltimore, it's almost, you, you want to do something fabricated. You come up with it. You can make it happen. Absolutely. Uh, the only caution I would add is, I mean, and you've heard this, like Baltimore is literally, it's block by block. Sure. Uh, and I, I'll give you an example. If you got York Road uh, into the Homeland area, if you go one or two blocks into the west side of York Road, you're looking at three, four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars $700,000 comps. And if you go two or three blocks to the east side, same street name, you're looking at thirty, forty, fifty, $60,000 comps. Right. The houses are literally four or five blocks apart in the same street and the values are hundreds of thousands of dollars different. So it's very easy for an inexperienced wholesaler to use their really good comps to sell. <laughs> really yeah, bad I see that all the time. People send me <laughs> stuff and they'll, they'll say hundred thousand dollars spread. And I go, what? where's your carrying costs and your renovation costs? There's no spread exactly. in there. <laughs> yeah. so it, it, that changes things a little bit. Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, awesome. So I think we have a really good picture of what your business looks like now. Um, now let's tell us. Let, let's let's go back now. Let's go back to the beginning sure. because I know that you've got a really interesting story. That you know anybody listening to just this first ten minutes might go, okay, great. Another guy who you know made it in in real estate and he had a job and he was making good money. Sure, makes sense. How the hell am I going to do it? Tell us more about like where you started because I know you've got a really interesting beginning. All right. So um, for years, I hid this stuff like, you know, and my closest friends knew about it. But, you know, most of the people that know me, like if you told them I used to smoke pot, they wouldn't even believe it. Like, man, there's no way he never smoked pot. But the truth is, like when I was uh, I got kicked out of high school in my senior year. And by when I was 17 years old, I started shooting coke and heroin. And uh, and that whole lifestyle takes you to different places. And uh bad places and so for the next maybe eight years i spent you know time in and out of rehabs in and out of jail in and out of prison living in the streets and it eventually got to the point where you know i was like stealing cars robbing stores robbing drug dealers a bank outside of philly and uh 
things, you know, I mean, it's like I was at the bottom and, and my last month in that life, I was like all in. It's like, you know, this is it. I'm just going to get high or die or get shot or OD. You know, it's something like I'm just going to ride this. You know, it was like a rodeo. I'm just going to ride it till, you know, till the end and I ended up getting arrested. And uh, and that wasn't in my plans. You know, my plan was to get shot or OD or, you know, something. It wasn't like to get arrested to go to jail. And uh, I ended up getting arrested and I had literally, I was charged with dozens of robberies, a bunch of stolen cars, I had violation of probation or something from years earlier and, and some other stuff like the bank, which was a federal thing. And uh, I thought I was going to be going to jail for, you know, like for the rest of my life. So I wound up in Baltimore County Detention Center. This was uh, September 9th of 1989 and I was wow. about 24 years old. And I was on, I was in there, but I was still like I'm locked up, but I'm like, I'm not done, man. I'm still breathing, I'm not done. And uh I tried to escape out of the jail and uh got six months on lockup. So which means you're pretty much you're in a cell by yourself for 23 hours a day. And you wow. get out for an hour by yourself to go take a shower or harass people. And uh <clears throat> it was during that time that my attorney came to see me. And this this conversation, him and I had was the start of my me changing my life he looked at me and he you know he's like what the fuck is wrong with you like you're already in jail can't you even stay out of trouble in fucking jail and uh you know i'm like sitting there like no <laughs> he's like man if you play your cards right you can be home by the time you're 30 years old you'll be young enough to start a whole new life mm. And that was the first shot of hope that I got. So I went back to my cell and I was like, man, young enough to start a whole new life. And I was asking myself, well, you know, how am I going to do that? Because I've been to rehabs, I've been to AA, been to NA. It's like I got kicked out of half the rehabs or walked out of half the rehabs I was in. Tried different, you know, churches, different girlfriends, moved to different states. Like, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this different? And then and I, don't, I can't remember the exact moment that it happened, but there was a point where I began to realize that I was looking outside of myself for the solution to my problem. And that the solution wasn't on the outside, it was on the inside. Mm. And then once I started to look on the inside, things kind of started to change. And the, the big thing that happened that was the probably the most significant thing was after I got off lockup, I found a book on the tier. It was like laying on one of the you know tables in the tier. And it was, it, the book was called You Can If You Think You Can. And it was by an author. His name was Norman Vincent Peale, whose most famous book was called The Power of Positive Thinking. Yeah. I'd never heard of him, never heard of the book. Um, but I picked it up and I looked at it and I was like, oh, man, look, I got plenty of time to read. I, you know, I got nothing but time. So I'll go ahead and read this something positive instead of another Stephen King horror book <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> or Louis L'Amour, the Westerns that are all over the place. Right. And so uh, I got halfway through this book and it changed my life. I mean, it's just for the first time in my life, I realized that I can, I can take control of myself. I can, can take control of my life and I can become the person that I want to be. And so it was halfway through the book. I, I was smoking cigarettes. You could still smoke in jail back then. And right. And I, I quit smoking. I mean, I was just like, I gave my half pack of cigarettes to this guy named, I don't want to say his last name to protect his privacy. His name is Frank. And I handed him my half pack of cigarettes. And I still had a couple cartons in my cell. I'm like, I'm done. 
I didn't want to give those away because that's money. You know, right. it's like, uh, I didn't want to give those away. And, uh, and that changed everything. And then what I did like over the next couple of days is there was a couple of things I realized. The first thing is that, cause I, when you get out of that life, like you don't even know who the fuck you are. It's like, yeah. I, it's like, okay, I know how to like get high. I know how to steal. I know how to like, you know, like, uh, how do I put this in a nice way? I'm just good with, you know, women, like the sure. sex drugs, like all that stuff. I was really good at all that stuff, but that wasn't really compatible with the kind of life that I wanted to have. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was sitting there and I was like, well, you know, who am I? Like, what do straight people do? Like, I mean, am I going to start gardening or woodworking? Like, you know, <laughs> like, what do I do? And, uh, and then I thought, and all that I knew was that like, I was a rotten person. You know, it's like my whole self-esteem, the whole way I looked at myself was based on, like I started smoking weed when I was like 12. And so from 12 to 25, it was like, you know, fail the 10th grade, get, I probably got arrested 15 times as a juvenile, got arrested 15 to 20 times as an adult, living in the wow. street, lying, cheating, stealing from people that you love. Like, so my whole self-esteem was based on like, you know, loser, you're a loser, you're a failure, you fuck up everything you touch. Wow. And it's kind of hard, like if you're trying to like, get out of that life. And that's the way you see yourself. It's kind of hard to make a change because I mean, you can think of this, like if, you know, Muhammad Ali is going to get in the ring and he's thinking, man, this guy's going to whip my ass. He already lost the fight, right? right? You have to go in thinking you're going to tear that guy's head off. I don't care how big he is, how ugly he is, how strong he is. I'm going to kick his fucking ass and there's nothing anybody can do about it. And you might still get your ass kicked. Right. You have a much greater chance of winning if you believe in yourself. And so what I did is I thought I got to flip the script. You know, my my thing was, you know, I'm a bad guy. I'm terrible. I've done all these horrible things. And I felt a tremendous amount of guilt about it. So I thought to myself, well, I wasn't always like this. Like, who was I when I was 11? What was I like when I was 11 years old? I thought, okay, well, when I was 11, I was a good kid. I mean, I was like nice. I was polite. I'd go around knocking on doors to collect money for different charities to turn it in, like the telethon and stuff. And I never stole any of the money for candy bars or anything. I just took all the money back. And I just, you know, so I was, I cared about my community and I was really, I was good. And I, and I started to think, I started to realize like, well, that's who you are, you dumbass. Like you're the nice, decent guy. This drug thing, I mean, this can change anybody into a monster. 100%. It's like the Jack Wide thing. And it was like, so I realized, okay, well, in inside, beneath this crunchy shell, there's really a decent, there's a decent kid that wants to come out. And then what I did was I sat down and I wrote a list of all of the good things that I could think of that I had done in my life. It wasn't a big list. The, the bad <laughs> list was a lot bigger than the good list. But I just wrote down and it was stuff like that. Like I was collecting money for Jerry's kids for the telethon back people, you know, most young people today, they're like, Jerry's telethon. What the hell is I that? I remember them. Yeah. Us old heads know what it is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, I was in the Boy Scouts and I had, Chris had two newspaper routes when I was 11 years old. And I just, I, so I started writing all this stuff down. Like, man, you had newspaper routes, you hold, you know, hold the doors for people. You would like just anything that I could think mm-hmm. of. And, you know, it helped somebody that I didn't know change their tire in a parking lot just to help them. And so then I started to focus on that list. And I said, the bad list isn't me anymore. The good list, this is who I really am. That bad list was somebody that under the influence of drugs. I'm this good guy. I'm the, I'm the 11 year old kid in a 25 year old body. And, uh, and this is the kind of person you are. 
And once I was able to start focusing on that, everything in my life changed. It was, it was just, I mean, I remember, you know, I got out of jail when I was, I was in for four years and nine months. And when I got out, uh, I mean, this is what I did in prison. I went, I got a two-year degree from Hagerstown Junior College in business. They actually, the professors actually come to the prison. Oh, wow. Teach, same book, same exams, everything's the same. And, uh, you know, I get a little six-month construction certificate. And I, and this is really funny, but like maybe six months before I got out of jail, I opened a bank account. And, uh, and I'd saved some money in jail and I opened a bank account. And then I got a loan from the bank. It was a secured loan, but I was just like, oh, I got $500 in the bank. I want to borrow $500, keep my savings as collateral. Mm-hmm. You have nothing to lose. And then once a month, I was mailing the money order to the bank to pay down a loan to start establishing credit while I'm in jail. And uh, I was in minimum security, got a job lined up before I got out. And then the biggest story, probably the most important thing that happened was uh there was a, I had a girlfriend in high school that I was in love with and she was going in the right direction, like college and career and all that stuff. And I knew I was heading, you know, where I was at and we broke up when in the uh, 11th grade and it was my fault. I broke up with her. I just made up some bullshit just because I knew where I was going and I couldn't take her with me and I couldn't go where she's going. I just wasn't capable of it. And uh, I wrote her a letter about six months before I got out of jail and she wrote me back and said, yeah, my life's great. Don't write me anymore. So I was like, okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to write her one more letter and I'm going to tell her everything that I've always wanted to tell her and didn't have the balls to. I mean, what am I going to lose? I'm in jail. She'll never see me, but I, I want to get this stuff, this stuff off my chest. And so I wrote her another letter, just telling her, you know, like why I really broke up and how sorry I was about it. And just, you know, that I always felt terrible about it. And a couple of weeks later, I got a letter from her saying, well, you know, one second thought we can write. Uh, we got married two years after I got out. Wow. And we're still together. So uh, it's just, how do I put this? I mean, what I learned is like, if there's something that you want, you have to go after it. And if you want the girl, yeah, I got the girl. I want, I got the girl. And it's, and you got to write the letter. You got to do it. And, you know, and what I it, like make amends with people. The cop that locked me up. In 1989, today him and I are friends. His number is in my phone. I just bought him two months ago. Uh, I found him on Facebook maybe eight years ago. And I sent him a message on Facebook saying, hey, did you used to be a cop in the Eastern District of Baltimore City? And he didn't respond to it. Right. And you know, he's probably like, oh, shit, you know, I know this guy. And, uh, and a couple of weeks later, I, email, you know, I sent him another message and said, listen, man, I think you locked me up in 1989. And I just want you to know that you saved my life. And I really thank you for that. And I just want you to know that I'm really sorry for all the stuff that I did. I'm really, I really regret all that, but I appreciate that you saved me. And today I'm married and I got a, a wonderful son and a great business. And yeah, my life is good. And just thank you. And uh, we ended up meeting a couple weeks later and hanging out for a few hours. And we're friends. I mean, I just joined a volunteer fire department recently and I needed a reference. And I called him up. <laughs> you know, hey, Jim, can I use you as a reference? For the fire <laughs> and uh, he's like, sure, of course. And uh, yeah, But that's, you know, it's like you can change. You can turn your life around. I mean, hopefully most of the people that are listening aren't coming from such an extreme background, but, but the truth is like, man, if I could do it, like 
there's not really much stopping you. And again, the problem for most of us, it's on the inside. It's not the outside. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I, I think a lot of times, first off, thank you so much for sharing all of that. Sure. Uh, I think that that's definitely going to help a lot of people. And I'm sure that over your years, you've helped a significant amount of people. I know anytime I've heard you speak, it's always been powerful. So thank you very much for everything that you do. And, you know, I, I love for you, it might've been, maybe it was a long time coming in a buildup, but it sounds like it was a book. Well, a conversation from an attorney, a book, and you kind of said, that's it. Right. It sounds like mentally you're a very strong human being and you've got the ability to do what it is once you set your mind to it. Not everybody's in that same spot. So those that are out there that say, you know what, but I've tried that and it didn't work for me. What could you say to them? You know, it always, I always use the same things and that never stopped a guy from getting a girl, right? It's like, you go ask a girl, Hey, you want to go out? And they say no. And well, then you go ask another one, you go ask another one. You don't know, just say, okay, I've been celibate my whole life. <laughs> First thought, man, if you put the same effort that you put into getting laid into anything else in your life, you are going to excel at it. And it's just, it's the effort. And it's just that simple, man. It's just, it really is. And for me, it wasn't, it wasn't willpower. Cause I, like, I mean, the truth is like, I'm not strong. It's like, you know, the willpower is a finite resource. It doesn't last. You can, you can do willpower only like you can jump up on a pull up bar and through willpower, maybe hang on to it for four minutes, maybe five, but eventually your willpower and your strength are going to run out and you're going to drop. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it is with a lot of life changes. If you just try to just do it just by willpower, it's, it, it doesn't last. I'm just, I'm not going to eat sweets today. Damn it. I really want some sweets. And you know, that's going to last a while, but you need to start looking at it a different way. And once you start to look at it a different way and, and maybe it's not, well, I'm not going to eat sweets. It's like, man, I want to live long enough to see my kid graduate from college. And these sweets are going to kill me. They're going to end that. I want to be there for him. That's a whole different kind of motivation than just, you know, thinking I don't like looking, you know, I don't like to be able to look down and see my feet, you know, right. so it, it's not the same. It, it's the same goal, but a different reason for accomplishing the goals. And, and for me, one of the things that made it easier was believing that I had the, you know, the ability to do it. And the truth is like, there has not been a single day where I said, man, I really want to get high today. I, you know, I could go get a bag, a big ass bag of Coke and nobody would even know I spent the money, but I don't have the desire because I, I just, it's not a matter of fighting the urge. It's like, man, that's not who I am. I don't do that. That shit's for losers, man. And, and I don't want to die. And that to right. me is a bad sentence. And uh, it, you can do the same thing with other stuff in your life. And it, it's just, it, it breaks my heart when I see people that grow up like in the neighborhood I grew up in, the the biggest ambition for most of us was like, man, if you can get a job driving a forklift at Pepsi, like, man, you were set. Mm-hmm. You get a job working at Knoxell or McCormick's, you know, on assembly line and you know, get in the union, you know, like you're set for life. Like that was the limit of our thinking. And, uh, and it's just, it's so sad because, you know, you think of a lot of people in the inner cities where they don't have any role models. They don't have anybody to look up to, you know, the, it's like the role model is the guy on the corner selling drugs. Yeah. And they don't, and they don't, they just don't realize that, man, this, we are in a world of opportunity right here. This country, just, you know, despite whatever you may or may not think of it is the land of opportunity. People are dying to get here. And, 100%. and so it's just, uh, I don't know, it's, it's people. And I, I think we're all guilty of it a lot of times where we just have these limiting beliefs 
that that hold us back. And and it's not some guy that died 50 years ago or 100 years ago. It's not grandma's fault. I didn't meet my father. I was 17. I can't blame him. You know, every our lives, the way that things turn out is just about all based on little decisions that we make every day. Every day. Yeah. If every day you decide to eat like shit and you die when you're 60, you died like when you're 60, probably because you eat like shit every day. But if every right. day you decide you're going to eat, you know, like, okay, I'm going to eat some healthier food. I'll eat shit now and then, but for the most part, I eat healthier foods and I'm going to exercise. I don't have to be a bodybuilder, but I can go out and walk and do some sit-ups and stuff. And like, you know, you might be able to increase your lifespan a few years. And it's just these little decisions that we make every day. Same thing with, with money, especially, I mean, and we're all guilty of this. It, to some extent, you know, we want this immediate gratification. How many young guys do I see that are 23 years old that go out and start hustling, start making money, doing wholesale deals, and then run out and buy an $80,000 car? Right. Stupid. I mean, it's like, man, take that damn $80,000, get by a rental and let your tenants pay for your car. 100%. What's wrong with you? And, uh, but they can't think past that. And it's like, and I grew up the same way. I can't think past my paycheck Friday. Right. And what I found was that is I started making money and I was very, when I started first making like, you know, a good bit of money for me, I know what it's like to like, I mean, I had Christmas dinner in a homeless shelter in Virginia. I got kicked out of a rehab, hitchhiked to Florida, not, I got kicked out of a rehab in Virginia, hitchhiked to Florida, ate Christmas dinner in a homeless shelter. And uh, so I know what it's like to be completely broken and not have anything. So when I started to make money, like I'm holding on to this shit, man. <laughs> I don't want to like, I don't want to, like when I broke again and living in the streets, I was like very like paranoid about my money. And what I, what I learned was that every dollar I get, I want to think long-term, like we all know the short-term stuff, you know, I'm going to get by, you know, expensive shoes, expensive clothes, expensive watches. I got news for you. You can get a $20,000 Rolex and you're not going to get any more minutes in the day than the dude with the Timex. hundred percent. I get anything. And uh, so I became very uh, aware of how I was spending my money because I wanted to get the most long-term bang for the buck. And man, that, if you can adopt that philosophy, I mean, you can still treat yourself now and then, but if you can value every dollar and, and put that dollar to work for you, then you can create an amazing life. Yeah. The delayed gratification, right? People have an, an issue with the delayed gratification. And, and yeah, I think Jim Rohn puts it best that, you know, discipline is the act of doing tiny things day after day after day to achieve a desired result. And we're so bad at discipline as a people, right? Most of us are just terrible at it because everything that's bombarding us from social media to TV, to the radio, no matter what it is, everybody's telling you, you know, how you can have $20 million and be an investor and everything you see, which is why I love the, which is why I decided to do this podcast in this format where we talked about the whole person and not just the achievement so that we didn't continue to compound on, on that, on that fallacy that you can just do it like that. Nothing worthwhile happens overnight. And it doesn't make you, I'm not, I mean, this sounds crazy, but like, I'm not any happier day than I was when I was in prison. I'm not any, I got more freedom. I have more, you know, I can go eat whatever I want and use a bathroom by myself and, you know, like stuff like that. But the happiness that's on the inside. Yeah. No matter what's going on on the outside. And I was already at the bottom, man. Like I'm in prison. Like it can't get any worse than this. It's got to get better. So I was pretty happy because I knew there's the only way to play place to go was up. And I was heading in that direction. Um, 
but the, you know, I mean, we've all learned from this. You got and you buy a new pair of shoes or a new car and you get this temporary bump in happiness. Mm-hmm. And a, a few days or weeks or months later, you're not any happier than you were before you bought the item. And now you got less money. <laughs> like, you know, is it really, is it really worth it? I got a Jeep out front. I drive a Jeep. I could I afford a Tesla. I could afford a Tesla, but it's, it would make me feel cool for like two weeks. Right. It's like, it's just, it's not worth it. For me, that's for me. You know, it's like I prefer long-term security and stability over, you know, and the truth is like, you know, the only people that care about what you're driving are poor people. Right. Like I got money. They don't give a shit what you're driving. Right. You're just going to impress the guys on the corner in the hood and who cares about them? I don't care what, you know, what they think about me. Yeah, for sure. hundred percent. Keeping up with the Joneses. I, I was listening to another podcast this morning. Gary Keller um, was doing his like end of uh, end of family reunion address for all of the Keller Williams agents and him and Jay Papazan, who've written quite a few books that, you know, are huge in the real estate investment world and real estate world in general. They, they were talking about all these things that we're talking about, right? The delayed gratification, like the measuring, measuring your dollars. And, and he, he likes to talk about it as like smart money and dumb money, right? Dumb money is money. He was saying that, you know, doesn't know what it's supposed to do, doesn't know if it's achieved it and has no idea if it's doing what it's supposed to be doing while it's doing it versus smart money. Like you are putting money into, you know, investments you already decided. And I love your story where you're like, well, my benchmark was 22% from a stock, but if I was going to have to actually put time into it as well, I had to make more. So it was at least 30. Then you built a model around what that looked like. You went out and you started to find them like that I think is beautiful. And I hope if anybody takes any lesson from a financial perspective out of this podcast, it's that like, don't just go out blindly and say, I'm going to go make money. Great. What does that mean? Right. I, I have the same conversation with my team, my real estate team, where I go, all right, um, so how much money do you want to make this year? And inevitably, it's like $100,000, especially if it's a new real estate agent. Right. Mm-hmm. Go, Great. Why? Well, I don't know. Because <laughs> it sounds good. Because it sounds good. I've never made six figures. <laughs> OK, great. Well, how are you going to do it? Right. And then you start breaking it down and reverse engineering it. And then you're six months in and you go, hey, so you're on track to make about 50 this year. What's going on? Well, it's just a lot of work. Yeah. Ah, it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of consistent day after day benign activities that you need to do to, to achieve that desired result that you are not willing to do yet. So yep. you, you want $100,000, but your, but your audio is not matching your video or your video is not matching your audio rather. You know, the, like you got the before and after pictures or like, you know, you got the fat guy and then after he's got like the six pack abs, and, you know, the yeah. beach body. We all want the beach body, but we don't want to do the work it takes to get there. 100%. We just want to like take a pill or look, you know, and that's, and that's why you, you watch TV and you see like, you know, all these different things, these different contraptions, you know, just eight minutes a day and you're going to look, you know, you're going to look like Hulk Hogan. It's like right. people just want this quick, easy fix. They think, man, if I could just sleep with this thing on my arm, I'll you know, I wake up with huge biceps. But yeah, if you could like invent something like that, like they're going to sell like hotcakes because people are looking for the results without having to put a lot of effort into it. And 100%. there's a whole industry built on that stuff. Hundred percent. And and there's and there's such vanity, and I think that's a great place. I talk about that one all the time when when we're talking about what do you really want? Because ever, and I've always been an athlete, so I've always been in decent shape. But I, I've always said, always said, I want a six pack. I'm going to have a six pack this year. And you know how many times I've had a six pack in my life? 
<laughs> How many? Zero times have I had a six pack in my life. So clearly I don't actually want a six pack. I just really like the idea of having a six pack. Yeah, you just, yeah, you, I think it's, if you get your body back down to like 15% or your BMI to 15%, then you get a six pack. Yeah. And, uh, and that's hard to do. It's you know? hard to do. So I had six pack abs when I was a drug addict. <laughs> I mean, I weighed, I think when I got locked up, I weighed 138 pounds. And today I weighed, this morning I weighed 203. There you so, go. Uh, you know, beneath this 60 pounds of fat, there is a six pack. It's right, six, right. We all have it. We all yeah. own it. We just, yep. you can't see it. We're hiding it. <laughs> it. Underneath my fur coat. Right, so, right. Uh, so that's, yeah, so there's some other, I mean, there's a couple other things I'd like to mention before we wrap this up. Please, yeah. I mean, these are things that are like really important to me personally that I think have contributed to my success. And the first thing is like network your asshole. If you want to be in this business or any business, the more people that you know, the more deals that are going to come your way. And, and also the more people, you know, when, if you get a deal, then the more opportunities you have to present that deal to someone where they can make some money, you can make some money. Mm -hmm. And that goes hand in hand with maintaining your reputation above anything, maintain your reputation, do the right thing. It's always the right thing to do the right thing. And sometimes it might even mean walking away from the table and losing some money. So what? You can always make the money back. But you do a couple of bad deals and everybody's going to know about it. Nobody's going to want to work with you anymore. So it's, it could be selfish, but it's in your best interest to do the right thing. And, uh, and that's why for so many years, I was afraid to come out with my past because I didn't, I had a great reputation and people respected me and I didn't want to ruin it. I just felt like, man, this is like, God, I don't want people to know that part of my life. And then I, I began to realize a few years ago that that's the real story. Anybody can make money in real estate. It's right. like, how do you go from being like, a, you know, complete loser in jail with nothing to building a, an amazing life? Like, that's the real story. And, uh, and that's why I share that information now, it's just because it's like, I think it can inspire more people than just people that want to do real estate. I mean, you might decide you want to open a pizza chain or something, you know, compete with Papa John's. And, uh, and you can do it. It doesn't matter where you start. I mean, it, it, what it matters is believing in yourself that you're able to do it and then surrounding yourself with positive people, good people, busting your ass, especially in the beginning, man. I mean, you've got to bust your ass in the beginning. I don't care what business it is. You're going to be, you should be, if you want to make that hundred thousand dollars a year as a new agent, you should expect to work 12 hours a day, maybe seven days a week and miss a lot of, you know, when your friends are going out to happy hour and, you're going to this picnic and you're going to go sit in for an open house. Or you're going to take this new couple that just got pre-approved and you're going to show them 30 houses before they buy one. Yeah, You know, it's like, you just have to grind and hustle. But then as your network builds, you know, you're not going to just be selling the, eventually, hopefully you're not going to just be selling the 30, 40, $50,000 houses in Baltimore city. You're going to be selling the 500, $700,000 houses in Anne Arundel County. Yeah. And then you put the same amount of work in and you get 10 times the pay. 100%. Which, but you can't come right out the gate there and that, hey, I'm a new agent. I'm 21 years old. And I, I live with my parents, but I list your $700,000. It's like, no, it's not, it doesn't work. Right. No. You no pay you your can't. dues, man. You got to pay your dues. And uh, so that's it, man. There's so much more we can talk about. Yeah. Man. Well, hey, there's no time frame on this, but you know what? You just talked about one of my favorite sayings. So, two, there are two people that I like are my mentors that I've never met, right? And it's Zig Ziglar and Jim Rohn. And so, you know, I, I was in, 
I was in real estate in 2001, but I'd always been in hospitality, server, bartender, busser, bar back, whatever, you name it. And then there was a time span of like five years between like 2011 and 2015, maybe 10 to 15, where I had gotten out of real estate and just gone 100% back into hospitality. And, you know, you're right about the mindset and how it starts inside, right? Because there was certainly the abilities that I've been able to express since back in real estate that were in me, but, but my mind wasn't there. I couldn't do it. Right. I was angry all the time, grumpy, certainly drinking too much. You know, it's just that lifestyle. And then I get out and I get, and I get introduced to real estate and Jennifer and Michael Schiff, who I'm so grateful to, you know, hired me as, as a director of sales for their organization because of the leadership skills that they thought that I had grown in my, in my hospitality years, which were okay, but not really what they needed to be. Cause it's, it's, it's hospitality. Let's be honest. Right. So, so anyways, um, they introduced me to this world and I met Jim Rohn through audio books and I met Zig Ziglar through audio books and like those guys, and just like the book that you read and the messages that they have that are so basic, but they just state them in such a clear way that makes you go, duh, have totally changed my life and my trajectory and, and, and everything that I hope to be able to teach my children and as many people will listen. Like, I think that, that that's huge, right? Like being able to have people that will just tell it to you straight and that have an easy way of telling it that you can understand, help you to really shift your mindset. Cause you know, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And that's a, that's a very nice way to put it. Uh, a lot of people like, you know, we grow up in a family, uh, it's, it's usually the poor dad family, right. And rich, and then people read rich dad, poor dad, and they see a whole new way of looking at everything. Mm-hmm. Nothing else has changed. It's still the same president, the same, Congress, the same streets, all that stuff. But the way you look at all them changes where, you know, I remember I went out to lunch. This lady uh, asked me if I could get out to lunch with her. She wanted to interview me uh, as a landlord about some Baltimore City stuff. So we got out to lunch and we're talking. And uh, she asked me, she's like, well, how, why, why do you think like different? Like what makes you different than other people? Like as far as like being a business owner or a landlord goes. And I said, well, I said, where are you at right now? And she says, well, you know, I think it was Dizzy Izzy's or something like that. We were in the Diz. Uh, it's called the Diz in Remington. And she, she's like, well, we're in a restaurant. I'm like, well, what do you see? And she's like, well, I see the bartender and I see some food. I'm like, okay, well, here's what I see. I see dessert case. They don't make the desserts here. They buy those from somebody else. I see a floor mat by the front door that they don't own. They rent it from another company that comes in and brings it in and then they clean it and swap them out and then they actually pay them a fee every month. And I see these placemats that they don't own, that they, they actually buy them, but they keep buying them. And that's another service provider. So you see a restaurant where you're gonna sit down and eat and drink a beer. And I see an opportunity to provide this business with 15 different services just sitting here for two minutes. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the difference in the way that entrepreneurs think. So we go outside and we're leaving a, and she was going one direction. I was going the other. And I wanted to walk her to her car, be a gentleman, be a nice guy. So I'm walking to her car and we stopped in the middle, you know, like halfway down the sidewalk. And, uh, and I just turned this corner. Like I didn't have any previous knowledge of it. And I said, well, what do you see? And she says, well, I see the street and houses and cars. And I said, well, here's what I see. Directly across the street, the front door is open. You hear the sound of some saws, like, you know, they're cutting trim or something like mm-hmm. that. 
and you see a work truck out front and it looks like there's another work truck down the street like they're working in another house and I see a house at the end of the street that's boarded up. I see an opportunity right there. This neighborhood looks like it's coming up. People are spending money here to improve this neighborhood and that's the worst house on the block. That's the house I want. Yep. And it's like, and that's really the difference between entrepreneurs and those that aren't. And that's a skill you can learn. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't, you don't have to be born with it. I wasn't born with it. Well, maybe a little bit, but, uh, but just being able to see the opportunities. And unfortunately, so many of us live in this world with the blinders one where we don't see any opportunity and we think that we're stuck and we're always going to be working at McDonald's making $7 an hour, but we want the whole world to change. They, they should have to pay us $15 an hour. Well, how about this? Why don't you get another job doing something else that has a future? You know, why don't you get a job working for a plumber making $7 an hour? And in five years, you're going to be making maybe $25 an hour. Right. Just make the decision. Just make a choice. Don't expect the whole world to change to accommodate your poor decision making. You know, it's just that simple. And and nobody teaches it. You know, the the teachers report ads. What are they going to teach you? They don't know anything. They followed the, you know, they drank the punch. They went and got a bunch of debt and got a job that doesn't pay well. Yeah, and then they're stuck there, you know. And then they're gonna you're gonna take advice from them, like you know, they're the last people you want to take advice from. Well, that's our education system, I think. Our education yeah. system is to teach you to be an employee. Exactly, and they get you all ready for it Monday through Friday. Instead of nine to five, it's like yeah. eight to three. But they're yeah. preparing you so you yeah. can make a transition from you know from the kindergarten to your senior year to maybe college to working to make somebody else rich. Hundred percent. They even have the bells. You're allowed when you can go. <laughs> you're break right. They you're trained. You're trained, you know, and I remember, I I think I was destined to be an entrepreneur forever. And I think every job I ever had, I 100% sabotaged it. I was very fortunate. Every job I ever had Mm -hmm. within six months, they were like, we're going to make you a supervisor. And before you know it, I sabotaged it and went somewhere else, right? Like I could have probably been like a superintendent for Clark Construction or a vice president of some sort, right? Like from way back when I started, but it just wasn't for me. I, I, I couldn't the constrains, I felt so claustrophobic all the time. And that's why I think I liked hospitality so much because while it is that same constraint, it's a lot more fluid, right? There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a lot more freedom to it. Perfect. But that also allowed a lot of my bad habits to be able to escalate yeah. because, you know, it, it's, it's fun, right? And all these things are right around you. And I think now finally finding myself, and I think that's a big part, like people have to, people really have to try to find themselves in and not worry about comparing themselves to the outside, right? Like not what does society want me to do, but what do I want to do? What is possible for me? And even my dad, who my dad has done very well for himself. He's got a good amount of savings. He had his 401k, his house is paid for. He's still in good shape. He's 70 years old. We still do 30 mile bike rides, right? I mean, like he he's, he's lived a life that I would be proud to say that I lived if I had lived it. However, we are so different and it took him years for me to tell him I'm buying that and I'm going to fix it up and sell it and sell it for that. And he's like, you're, 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 uh, you're not taking a paycheck. Like, how are you going to do this? How are you going to live? I said, don't worry about that. I can make the money. I've got the money box check. I've figured that part out, whatever it is, I can figure out how to make money. I won't go broke. Even if I've gone almost all the way to zero, I'm still like, okay, I can climb back up. Right. But there's my opportunities and that's how I'll get there. So like, while you might have the stock market in your 401k, I've got rental properties and or investments or businesses that will be my 401k. Yep. I get it, man. That's, People ask me, well, where do you, you know, do you have a, you know, an IRA, you put money in the stock market or something every year? I'm like, my houses are my IRA. I mean, it's like, if, and this could, anybody can do this. You're, if you're 30 years old, you buy a rental property and you get a 30 year note on it. When you're 60 years old, now you get a rental property that you're in free and clear. 
Well, if you buy one or two every year for 10 years, by the time you're 60 years old, you're going to have maybe 10, 20 rental properties that you're going to own free and clear. And I mean, that's a pretty good retirement for people. You know, if you got, if you got 20 houses with no notes on them and you're making seven, $800 a month off of each one times 20, what's, what's that? $16,000 a month. Yeah. And by the time you're that age, your house is paid off. You don't have any significant debt. You could live a pretty good retirement like that. You live a really good retirement with that. Yeah. And people don't, you know, everybody thinks, well, okay, I got to put money in my 401k. It's like, eh, I mean, you can. And I and I would suggest you do that as opposed to going out and buying like, you know, just consumer shit. Like right. that's the best thing you want to do. But if you are going to invest your money, man, the real estate is hard to beat. And and there's no, you know, limit to it. I, what I would tell new investors is like, uh, focus on one thing. Like, don't try to do too much. Oh, I'm going to wholesale and I'm going to do flips and I'm going to be a landlord. Man, just focus on one thing. And if, if you build up your rental portfolio, I mean, for me, it was like I was making good money, you know, before I got into real estate. And when I got into real estate, I was making good money. And actually, I was making more money. But it was like, okay, was well, the money, if, if I make, I'm just going to make numbers up. If I make 250000 this year, if I make 50000 more than I made last year, am I going to be any happy? Probably not. But what if you got, you know, what if you're only working half as much and you can spend the other half the time doing things that you like, whether it's going fishing or reading or sleeping late or whatever the hell it is. Right. Yeah. I'd be happy about that. And that's what I started working towards is freedom. And I hit, I hit about a hundred rental units, maybe um, six or seven years ago. I said, man, that's enough. I don't want anymore. And uh, because for me, it was like, I could always, I could, I could easily double my portfolio and I wouldn't work more than four or five hours a day just because of the the systems that I have in place. I work probably about two hours a day now. And uh, the truth is I could buy another 10 or 20 houses. I could make more money, but the stress that they bring to my life is greater than the amount of happiness that I'm going to gain from just making a little bit more money. It's just not to me. I got enough. I got enough. I'm happy. More money isn't going to make me happier. Right right now what I want is freedom. And And I'm actually in the process of liquidating a lot of my portfolio because the market is really good. It's really good right now. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I was going to wait a few more years. And, uh, and then, you know, I was like, man, shit, I got a, I got a text message from this young guy. I'll, I'll say his name. His name is Dave Pelta. He sent me a text message asking, he's like, Mark, do you know anybody that has any 10 to 20 unit apartment buildings for sale? And I, I have some for sale and, uh, or I have some, I wasn't planning on selling them. And I called him up and I was like, Hey Dave, what's up, man? I saw your text message. What are you looking for? Well, I got these New York buyers. They're really good. They bought a couple of buildings from me. They're cash buyers. Uh, and they're looking for stuff. So I threw some numbers out there just thinking like, I don't have to sell these. Like I'm content with them, but if right. they're going to give me what I'm going to ask, then I'll sell them. Right. And they agreed to what I asked. I was like, shit. So should ask for more. Yeah, I know, I know, man. You know, but it's like, I got what I want, you know, so it's not real greedy. It's like, you know, I'll I'll leave enough meat on the bone so that the other person feels satisfied when they walk away from the table. Uh, And then, and by doing that, like now they want to buy like more of my portfolio. And I want to settle me. Yeah, we got three more weeks. So a lot can happen in three weeks, but, you know, and and that's a great example right there. Networking and reputation. Mm Mm-hmm. Every day I get phone calls and text messages from wholesalers I've never met, never heard of them. And, uh, and you know, they're trying to like get myself under contract for 50 cents on a dollar. I don't blame them. I used to do the same thing. Right. And, uh, but I know this guy, Dave, and he sends me a text. I'm like, I recognize him. Oh yeah. I know this guy. He's a really, he's a nice guy. He's a decent kid. Let me give him a call. And, uh, 
I did that because I know he's a decent kid. Not that I had any intention of selling him anything, but it's right. like, you know, why wouldn't I talk to him? Yeah. And uh, and as a result of that, he's going to get paid. He's going to do well. I'm going to do well. Hopefully these buyers are going to, you know, be happy with the properties that they get and uh, they'll be successful. And, and you know what's going to happen? And this is one of these things that drives me crazy is I'll sell probably 80% of my portfolio this year the market's going to take a big shit in like three years, you know, maybe, I mean, it might be in yeah. six months. I don't know, but it's going to happen. Right. And then people are going to say, man, you sure were lucky. You sold. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's not luck, man. There's no luck. You got to pay attention. I worked for my shit. I see the market is doing really well. It might go up more. It might, but mm-hmm. I want to get out in, in two and a half years anyway. Right. And if two and a half years, it takes a dump. I might be stuck here another five years waiting for the prices to get back up. Right. So I'm like, I'm hedging my bets. I'm like, man, I got enough money. I'm actually, part of my goal was two and a half years because I pay down a significant amount of principal every month. So I thought, well, you know, in three years, two and a half, three years, I'll have another half million dollars in equity. But if I can sell it today and get the same extra half million dollars more than I think my stuff's worth, then why wait, man? I mean, this isn't rocket science. You know? right. <laughs> like, man, you know, so that's, that's where I'm at now. And, uh, but stick with one thing. It was what I originally thought said, you know, I stuck with rentals and I got that da- that game down pretty good. I've done some retail flips. I'm not real good at those. Uh, partly just cause I, the, when it gets to the last, like the punch out, like the last 10%, like I'm just so tired of the project. I'm like, just sell the fucking thing. I don't care if I break even just, I want it off my plate. I'm tired yeah. of thinking about it. So yeah. that's really good with me, with my personality type. Uh, Wholesaling, made a bunch of money in it. Uh, probably done about 200 wholesale deals, but I was doing it when it was easier than it is now. It used to be a little bit easier. And yeah. and the truth is, like, I don't want to work that hard. I could I could probably do 50 wholesale deals in the next year, but I don't feel like setting up that business, man. It's a lot of work. A lot of and, work. And the money that I make, I'm not going to be any happier than I am today. And I'm going to have a lot less free time and all that stuff. So I just, you know, I just, that's the life I chose. Well, it's funny that you keep talking about time because I'm also a big proponent of time. And, and if my wife hears me in the room, she'll she'll tell me I'm a liar because she's yeah. like, you're always working. But like you, I love I love what I do, if right? Like, like it, If you like it, it's not work. It's not work, right? I love what I do. And so, but my, I have a lot of people. And again, my dad, right? He's old school. And so I, I have a real estate business. I have a general contracting business. And we're going to be starting a couple other businesses, but my goal is not to start these businesses, be the owner, be the operator, and just continue to give myself more jobs. Although my wife will tell me another one. (laughs) And I say, well, just be happy. You don't have a deadbeat that doesn't actually want to do anything. But anyways, I I get comments all the time from people where they go, why would you partner with other people? I said, well, because I want to start the business because I've got the mind for it. I've got the vision for it but I don't want to run it. And what's the best way to get somebody else to help me grow something than to give them partnership in it. Have you read the book rocket fuel? I have. Yeah. You reminded me of that. Cause that is, that is a really good book, man. Right. The integrator. Yeah. yeah. Oh, exactly. And I'm, yeah, that's what you need is an integrator. I mean, I'm a visionary. I can think of great ideas like every day, a hundred percent, but then it's like, all right, well, now who's going to do it? Uh, you know, not, yeah. uh, you know what my example is tenant placement. I've been talking about doing this for like five years. You could set up a tenant placement business where you easily make a hundred thousand dollars a year. Easy. I know how to do Passively. it. It's very simple. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I haven't done it. And I, every, I talk, I have a conversation with somebody about this, like every three days. And actually this morning I was thinking about it. Like maybe I should like put an ad on Facebook, like who's red rocket fuel and identifies as an integrator. Send me your resume. hundred percent. And uh, because I've got, you know, with the tenant placement stuff, like I work with a lot of programs. It's mostly guaranteed rent for all of it or most of it. And these, they're always calling me like, hey, Mark, do you have any two bedrooms, three bedrooms, one bedrooms? And if I don't have them, that's very easy for me to find another landlord that'll jump on these tenants. And I get a month's rent for, you know, maybe doing three or four hours work. Easy. And uh, I know another guy that does it. I don't want to mention his name, but uh, I think he made... Two years ago, last time I had a conversation with him, I think he made around $400,000 that year doing tenant Wow, place. tenant placement. Yeah. That's very yeah. good. Yeah. That's and, very and, good. And, yeah, but it's like it's like any business. You could be a landlord and buy one property. You could be a landlord and buy 700 properties. Right. It's just how far do you want to take it? Yep. That's how far he took it. You know, he yeah. was willing to put in the work and the time and the effort. Now, the one thing he does that turns me off is he works his ass off. I would rather give up half that money and have somebody else work their ass. Exactly. Yeah, if I can give up half the money and 90% of the work, that's the, that's the way you scale your shit. I'll do 10% of the work, make half the money. That, those are pretty good ratios right there. Yeah. hundred percent. So, man, I was hoping you were an integrator. We would start a tenant placement. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, I, have you read who, not why, or uh, let me write it who down. Not how rather who, not oh. how, who, not how, who not how? Who not how? Okay. And 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 I it has yeah it has changed my outlook. You know again changed the way you look at things. The things you look at change. And so you know I when I started the construction company, first thing I did was I I was running it right, and I said well it's fine because I'm already helping these clients find properties, and then we'll do the work and we'll do this. It was a disaster. I I I didn't do anywhere near as well as I should have for my clients. And the two flips that I were doing, because I'm that type of person that I'll put other people ahead of me, I think I either broke yep. even or lost a couple bucks on them because yep. I had seven projects going on at a time. While we also grew our business 100% and went from $9 million in sales volume as a real estate company to $19 million in volume. So all this in one year, it, 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 was, it, it was a mess. It was a mess on that side. And so I, I you know, was continuing to put that energy out there that I need somebody and I have another hospitality guy that I've brought on. His name is Tom Hanna. He's now my business partner and he's an incredible integrator and he's got vision as well, but you know, definitely uh, uh, he's the integrator. I'm the visionary and what he's done with the business in six months compared to the disaster that I left for him is inexplicable. I mean, we're on pace to maybe do $5 million worth of jobs this year. That is awesome. And, awesome. and, that, and, that, and those are the kind of partnerships that are really good. When the bad partnerships are when you get two visionaries. A hundred percent. They don't yeah. work. They don't do shit. Yeah, who's going to do the work? <laughs> you get two integrators and they're like, man, they don't know what to do. I mean, yeah. if you give them a project, like here, man, I need you to do this. Like they're fucking awesome at that. Yeah. You get two guys like that, they're really awesome, but nobody's told them what project to work on. Yeah. And uh, so it's it finding that balance. And that book, when I read that, it like I actually have another business that hasn't started making money yet, but uh, it was an app that I've, thought of it was like tinder i'll tell you what it is it's like tinder for wholesale houses like interesting nope, like it nope don't like it nope don't like it. oh yeah like that swipe right and uh that's a great idea yeah well it should be like live in the next few months and uh it was a guy named jared sleeth yeah i know jared he's, yeah, he's jared. great yeah, yeah. He, he's my integrator for that yeah and, he's uh, great and he's he's an integrator for sure he's oh, very he's good great, yeah. he's great so he uh you know i talked to him i, I was actually at, i used to do these friday lunches at this 
little bar, even though I don't drink. I spend more time than anybody I know, and I don't even drink. And, <laughs> and uh, I'm sitting in this lunch. It was like 15 people. I was like, anybody in here read Rocket Fuel? It's like, anybody identifies an integrator? And, you know, Jared raised his hand. I was like, man, can we talk later? And this business, you know, we sat down, talked about it, ran through it. And then he found the developer and he found the programmer. And it's like, you know, it's, it, the beta should be coming out in the next few months. And, uh, and it's, you know, that's, hopefully that's going to be another income stream coming up, but it, it would have never, it would just be an idea in my head if I hadn't had that kind of, if I hadn't read the book and then asked, Hey, is anybody an integrator? And then had the conversation, it would have just been another idea that goes in one side of my brain and out the other. And then 10 years later, I'm like, man, I should have did that. You know? Yeah. A hundred percent. Well, that what's funny about the book, um, rocket fuel is that when I was working with Jennifer and Michael Schiff, um, obviously I, I think, you know, both of them, right? I, I know Michael. I love Michael. Yeah. I've, never, I've, I've met Jennifer like once or twice, but I don't like, I wouldn't know her if I saw her. Sure. So she's really like the director of operations for, for that, for that real estate team. And they do great business. And I mean, she's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And when, when they had hired me as the director of sales, at one point she had me read that book and she's like, you're my integrator. And it was actually the end of our relationship because as I read that book, I was like, shit, <laughs> I'm not actually an integrator. No wonder I always struggle with these things. I'm a visionary. Like it actually helped me realize I'm not an integrator. And I've always thought that I was this great integrator. But what's really funny is like even every restaurant that I ever opened and I had a restaurant consulting business and I was helping people to run it. What I realized when I look back and I reflected, I was like, I never actually was able to create anything um, like go out and create it. I, all I would do is I would rip off and duplicate. I'd be like, I need a manual. There's a manual from the last company I ran. Here we go. And I'd give it to an assistant and have them like change it up. And I was like, I've never been an integrator. I just, I just knew like I could see it, but I wasn't the one to actually do it. I know we need, we need the integrators. They need us. We need them. Yeah. I don't feel better than the integrators. Uh, no, like, God, no. Like, I depend on them. I mean, you know, we it, like I, they're like the right hand man. Like without them, it's like we're just nothing's going to happen. Yeah. And, uh, so that's awesome. That's that's good that you read that and you identify, you know, you recognize which works. I think that, you know, without that, without reading that book, I wouldn't know that I'm a visionary. I would just think that I'm just like fucking lazy. Right. <laughs> things I never do anything. And I, I realized that that's not my strength. You know, it's like I play on my strengths. And if, yeah. if I can play on my strengths and have someone else, you know, fill in my weaknesses that are strong in those areas, then man, there's nothing stopping you from, you know, I mean, if you want to own a thousand units, you can do it. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing stopping. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I, I personally, I want really, really big businesses. And I want them now, because my, I want to no, create my, opportunities for others. Okay. I was going to ask you, why do you want really yep. big businesses? So, so I have, um, well, have you read uh, Think and Grow Rich? By Napoleon Hill? Mm -hmm. I honestly, I could only get through about 20% of it. It's long. And it, and it was like, I mean, it was kind of like a you know different style of English than we speak. 100%. Right? And it was, it was kind of like he was speaking to like ninth graders or eighth graders. Yeah, yeah. He was like, I cannot get through this. Man. So there's, there's, there's one section of it where, they, where he states that like you, you have to clearly state your purpose and repeat it twice a day, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to state it in a specific way, right? And so he, he says, like, you know, you have to say that I want X, I want to achieve X by X and I'm going to exchange X for X, right? And so, you know, my first one was terrible. I think it was something ridiculous with no real purpose behind it. And as I continue to think, 
you know, I, I, I now every morning as part of my morning routine, I do the millionaire um, morning. I'm up at four most of the time and work out and okay. meditate. What the hell, the hell Elrod thing? Yep. How Elrod. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's a fantastic book. Sorry. Awesome book. No, awesome book. And, uh, and so, you know, it is now really, really clear. Right. And so my, my, my morning genre is, I will have a net worth of $100 million by July the 10th, 2027. In exchange for this net worth, I will organize people, organize monies, sell and invest in real estate and other businesses. While on my journey to achieving this net worth, I will help at least 100 other people become millionaires. So I've gotten really clear on it. And every time I'm out, I, I, I'm looking for that who, when I have an idea, it's like, I know I can get it started and off the ground, but I need that who, and that who can have that opportunity to be one of those people. And then I visualize and I sit there and I literally, there's a house that's right next to the bridge where I proposed to my wife, which is the Naval Academy Memorial Bridge. Mm -hmm. And it's on this peninsula and it was just rebuilt into this cool modern thing. And it overlooks the Severn River. And I visualize me and my wife and our two daughters and our dog coming in on that day, which is my birthday from our morning ride on the Severn River, pulling up to the house with all of our guests who are all the millionaires, including our families that we've helped during that time arriving for the celebration of the achievement of the goal and my birthday. You got to document it, man. Document the journey. Yeah. You know, and and that's like a what is that a uh, Gary V type thing? Like, yeah. and that's another thing. If you're like a new real estate person, document the hell out of everything, man. I mean, in 2002, I didn't have a digital camera. I don't, I didn't have a cell phone all thing. And if I did, it didn't have a camera on, but man, take a shitload of pictures of all your properties, the before, the after, write down details, like how you found it, how you analyzed it, where you got the money, how much you spend, how much you're making. And if you do that for 20 deals over the course of like five or 10 or 15 years, you have a freaking book. Now you yeah. just send it to an editor to put the shit together, but you already wrote a book. Right. I wish I had done it, but I'm a fucking visionary. I needed the integrator to say, all right, let me get take the pictures. And but Mark, I'm going to ask you some questions. How'd you find the damn house? You know? Yep. Well, that's what Gary Keller did when he was launching Keller Williams. He literally hired somebody just to follow him around all day long and document every single thing that he did. And that became their launch manual. That is awesome. That, you know, I've read some of his stuff and uh, I know what he's done to Keller Williams. I mean, it's almost like, you know, like drinking the punch when you go there because they are so into like the self-development, which benefits you if you're an agent. I mean, any sales type position, you need to constantly work on your, you know, your motivation and all, because it's hard when you got to go out and show some 20 houses and they don't buy any of them, you mm-hmm. know, like it's that a happens. Lot yeah, it happens a lot. And, uh, and, you know, you can do all this work and then you don't even get paid for three months that they settle. Yeah. And uh, so it's, and it's like any sales job, you got to used to hearing no, mm-hmm. you know, it, especially in today's market, you submit 20 offers, you get 20 no's. And it's yeah. like the 21st offers, I really don't feel like doing this shit. Right, but you have to, man. And that's you know, if you yeah. want to get paid, you have to do it. And it's a numbers game, and that's why, like, for I think for Gary Keller, he's promoted that stuff that this constant motivation and working on yourself and self improvement. Because if you're working on yourself, your business is going to improve as well. Like everything in yeah. your life, your family, your business, 
hopefully your health. And um, I think it's, it's great that he promotes all that stuff. Yeah. And, and, and also they're really big on um, teaching people business skills, right? Like teaching you how to turn your real estate business into an actual business and not just a sole proprietorship where you're out there doing everything on your own. And, you know, I, I'm no longer with Keller Williams actually, but only for the, not, I still bleed red. I mean, I love Keller Williams. I'm, mm -hmm. I, I absolutely love Keller Williams yet they're, they're a little bit behind in what's I think required, or at least for me and my personality type, there are too many rules and there's too much bureaucracy and being able to do what you want to do. And there's mm -hmm. too many people that have to give you permission to be able to, you know, go past go. That for me, I said, person. my vision's a little too big to keep asking permission. Right. You're, you're, you're not the first person I've heard say that. So, uh, uh, you know, and like a lot of things, I mean, they are good maybe for a period of time. And once you reach a certain level of growth, then maybe it's time to move on to something else where you can get yeah. some more growth. Because and it's like that with a lot of things. And like, if you just keep doing the same thing over and over again, you're going to eventually reach a limit where you can't really grow anymore. Right. And it takes the change to get, you know, different thought processes going, maybe some freedom to allow you to pursue some other things that you weren't able to pursue in the past due to some kind of constraints on you. Yep. So, but it's like that with a lot of things in life. I mean, if you're a plumber making 20 bucks an hour and you stay at the same company for five years, you might be making 22 bucks an hour in five years. But if you leave, you know, and you go to another company, you're probably going to get a two or $3 an hour pay jump the first day. And then you stay there a year or two and you go somewhere else and you get right. three, $4. I mean, you can make a lot more money by jumping around. And yeah, for sure. Especially in today's market because there's such a demand for skilled, decent people that show up one time. Showing up one time, what a unique concept, right? <laughs> it's like, I, uh, this is something I got to tell this to everybody in here, just in case your parents didn't tell you. Show up one time, here's the deal. And this is how I screen my rentals. This is how I screen my tenants. If our appointment is at one o'clock to see the house and it's five minutes after one, I'm leaving. I ain't waiting for you. Because if you're not going to show up to see the house on time, you're not going to pay your rent on time. That's, that's the way you run your life. And uh, it's the same with a job interview. If, if, you're, if you want to work for me, if you want me to hire you as a, a handyman or something, and our appointment's at two, and you call me at 10 after two and say, hey, man, listen, I'm running behind. I'll be there in 20 minutes. Don't bother, man. I already left. It's like, if you can't show up to meet me, you're supposed to be putting your best foot forward when we meet for the, whether you want to rent a house from me or you want to work for me. If that's your best foot showing up late, like, no, thanks, man. I don't need you. Yeah. And, uh, so keep that in mind when you're showing up for a job interview or something, because entrepreneurs don't need that shit. You know, yeah. it's like, there's, there's a lot of people out there that are willing to do the job and my time is my most valuable asset and you're going to waste my time. No, thanks. I, don't yeah. I think also if people are, are working with other entrepreneurs or if they're trying to meet other entrepreneurs and, and have opportunities, <clears throat> The biggest thing for me, and, and one of the favorite rules that, that Zig Ziglar actually says is that, you know, if you do more than you get paid to do, eventually you will get paid more for the things that you do. That's the mantra of uh, an entrepreneur, right? Like we grind for nothing and then we build it. So if you're going to be trying to get a job with an entrepreneur, make sure that you're working harder than what you're actually getting paid to do because an entrepreneur will ultimately reward you for the things you're doing. I think, I, who said this? I said an entrepreneur is a person that's willing to work 100 hours a week so they don't have to work for somebody else 40 hours a week. Right. 
And that, that sums it up, man. I think this has been great. Um, I appreciate you sharing your wisdom and sharing your story with us. I think that it's going to be really helpful for people. Um, is there anything that you are working on besides the app or anything that you'd like to promote that we could share with our guests, our audiences yeah, rather? Man, I'm not selling anything. I just, I, the only thing I want to do is inspire people and encourage people. I'm not a motivator. I'm not here. I'm not Tony Robbins. Like, rah, 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 jump up and down and smile. Like after you're motivated, then come talk to me. Yeah. Because then I can give you some direction on what to do. I just want to inspire people. I want to show people what's possible. And it's nothing special about me. I'm not a genius. I didn't come from money. It's just, it's just decisions and then taking action. And that that's decisions and taking action. Yeah. And that's the hard part. Everybody says, yeah, I want this, but then they don't want to work for it. Yep. And you're willing to work. And then you're like, well, I don't know what to do, man. Well, you start by talking to other people that are already doing it, reading books, listening to podcasts, watching yeah. YouTube videos and getting your ass out to the meetups and the rea meetings and talking to people. Yeah. And, uh, and, and just when, start. Yeah. When you surround yourself with people that are doing it, the chances of you doing it are going to be significantly greater than if you hang out with your drinking buddies that are just, you know, content to stay in their nine to five job for the rest of their lives. You know, your friends are going to change as your success changes. Your friends are going to change. Um, not all of them, but some of them, the ones, some of them are going to be feel threatened by your success mm-hmm. and they're not going to want to hang out with you because you're talking about, you know, you just got it home from vacation two weeks ago. And you're getting ready to go away again in two weeks. They don't want to hear that shit. They get like right. two vacation a year and they spend half that in Ocean City and the other half sitting around the house doing the honeydew list because they can't afford to go anywhere else. Right. So they don't want to hear about your amazing life. And and that's fine. I mean, I used to be one of those people. It's like, you know, miserable and, you know, and not successful. That was like my drug addict days. But uh, but your friends are going to change. and uh, And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, it can be a good thing because in, in at least in the business that we're in, there are a lot of amazing, absolutely amazing and inspiring people. And some of the people are like half my age. I mean, I'm 55 years old and I'll talk to some of these guys like Brenton Hess or the Michelle Brown. Right. Just like, man, I'm just so in awe and impressed by these guys. Right. And just like how decent they are. I mean, they're very successful with they're like humble, decent people. And it's just, yep. you know, when I when I meet people like that, you know, I, I know people that you know, or successful, like that are older than me, but that I'm also uh, in awe of and inspired by, but it, it's, the thing is, it's not what we have that inspires me. It's the kind of people that they are that inspires me. To me, that's more important than what you have. I'd rather have good friends, good people that are broke than know a bunch of guys that got money and they're assholes. Like, I don't right. need it in my life. I just, I look for good people. And, uh, but, but yeah, your circle will change and just try to surround yourself with people that are positive, that are going you know, to inspire you and motivate you and that are doing well. People that are living the kind of life you want to live and it helps. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, everybody out there, like, just get started. Momentum is your friend. The enemy of done is perfect. Don't wait till it's perfect to get started. Yep. Awesome. All right. Well, Mark, this has been fantastic. Maverick Nation, thank you all so much for tuning in. Mark, we really appreciate you. Can't wait to have you again. Where can people find you if they need to find you? Uh, Let me see. My website, markowens.com, which doesn't have much. Email is mark at markowens.com. Probably the best place if you want to learn some stuff about like what I do with real estate and all is just a Facebook group, Mark Owens, R-E-I. And there's probably, I don't know, 100 videos on there. Some of them are bullshit. Like I'm just ranting about some stupid stuff, but there's some stuff that on there that's like really legit. That All right. You might find helpful. Awesome. Mark, thanks again very much. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time, Romeo. Hope you have a great Absolutely. weekend. Thanks. You too. Bye.